Well, good morning, church, and happy Father's Day. Hope you guys are feeling good. For those of you who are joining us online, we're so thankful that you would take some time out of your weekend, whether or not you're watching this on Father's Day or you're at the lake on Father's Day and you're going to catch back up on Wednesday. Whatever it may be, we are glad that you are taking some time to dive in with us today as McDonough Christian Church. Hey, if you are new, uh, there's a link right there in the post description. We'd love for you to click on that. If you're new here with us in person, I'd love to get a chance to meet you, get to know you after uh, the worship service today. Uh, God's up to some really big things. And hey, one of the things, again, you notice if you look around, there's these, these little humans who are with us. And again, I want to just say welcome. You're welcome, kids. We're glad you're here. We're so thankful that your parents are brave enough to bring you here. It's awesome. Um, one of the things that I want you to remember today, today we're going to be talking about three different states in the message today, okay? So, so if you want to win the goodies, you've got you to gotta listen for three states. Grown-ups, you can participate, but no prizes, prizes will be given to you, unfortunately. So right now... We're in a series as a church, two-part series going through uh, racial reconciliation, a series called My Skin. We're leaning into this because this is one of those times in, in our culture where we need to go, okay, what does God's word actually say? There, there are so many things. There's so many things coming from the news. There's so many things online. There's so many things that are all in front of us. What does God's word actually say about it? And so last week, we, we unpacked the idea of race, and we talked about how racism is essentially the sin of partiality in regards to someone's pigmentation in their skin. It's judging off of an outward experience and outward things to say that this person is either of less value, of more value, and it's judging that off of outward things. We talked about how essentially, guys, we are one race. We, we are one race who's been bought by the blood of Jesus to be together and to be unified. And today, we're going to talk about that unification, that reconciliation that Jesus bought for us. All right? You good? Everybody loose, loosened up, ready to go, round two? I'm not going to be here next week, so you better get I me mean, better open up the thing and let, let's dump it all in there. Um, I'm going on vacation next week. It's been awesome. Um, next Sunday will actually be my one-year anniversary as your lead pastor. Did you know that? So I decided I wouldn't be here. <laughs> so I decided I would, I would take one off. Uh, Tim's going to be teaching. He's going to do an amazing job. going to be leaning into some, uh, some very specific things for those of you who... Uh, are trying to make the most of the time you have. And so it's going to be an awesome time for that. Let's pray, and we're going to get into God's Word for us today. Jesus, we love you. We need you. We thank you for who you are, what you're doing. Uh, God, I know today uh, is a day where, God, we, we come to you and we look for answers. Um, but more than answers, God, I pray that we would look for you, just you, our Father, our Maker, the one who loves us creates us. I pray that we, more than looking for answers about our situation, that we look for answers about who you really are. That when we come to a place where we know who you are, what's on your heart, we can have the answers we need because we know who we are. I thank you for everybody who's, who's listening, who's tuned in, who's maybe watching this even later. God, you brought them here. You brought them to this place for a reason. And I pray you meet with them today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So this past week, my wife and I, my beautiful wife, Jessica, we celebrated our nine-year anniversary. So that's awesome. Yeah, you can clap for that. So I guess you can say things are getting pretty serious between us, and that's been good. But marriage is, is kind of a tough one, right? You know, like you grow a lot in marriage. It's, it's definitely a learning experience. It's either a learning experience or it's a miserable experience. And for me coming into marriage out of what I was experiencing was definitely a big learning curve. For some of you, it may have been easy, but for me and my personality, it was a big learning curve for, because I lived with three other college baseball players 
So me and three guys that I lived with, we, we had this house that we rented across the street from the school, and that's essentially where we lived. Now, those three guys, we were very much the same. I mean, we were just basically three different versions of the same person. We, we played the same sport. We, we chewed the same tobacco. We listened to the same music. We, we did all the same things. Our standards for what clean meant were all pretty much the same. And our timing is when we should clean was all pretty much the same too. When a girlfriend was coming over or our mom was coming over. Those were the things that we just decided along the way. We all talked the same. We thought the same. We did pretty much all the same thing. Even the guy who was from Illinois and not from Georgia, he pretty much did the same things that we all did. And what I found out once I got marriage was that in order for me to become less of a self-centered slob, I didn't need to be around more people who were like me. If I was actually going to grow and to become anything different than I currently was, which I thought was great, let it be said. If I was going to grow, though, I had to put myself around someone who was not similar to me. Because when we stood on that altar and we, in front of family and friends, uh, chose to, to commit these marriage vows to each other, we chose to actually be not similar, but we chose to be one. And there is a big difference between being similar and being one. And I think for so many times, not just the relationships we have that are romantic, but really our relationships with people in general, our propensity is to want to surround ourselves with relationships that are similar. We want to be around people who look similar than us. We want to be around people who vote similarly to us. We want to be around people who think similar to us. We want to put ourselves around similar. The problem with similar, though, is Jesus did not call us to be similar. He called us to be one. Now, guys, that's not easy. But it is possible. And the other thing that you've got to know about this whole oneness thing it's not optional. It's not optional. You're going to continue to feel tension. You're going to continue to feel pain. You're going to continue to bump into that until you surrender to the fact that that oneness is not optional. And I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that talks about this oneness that Jesus has made between us and God and us and us. So if you've got a Bible, you can go to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be. Ephesians chapter 2, one of my absolute passages, favorite passages of Scripture. Ephesians 2 is where we're going to be. This is what it says. Paul's writing to a church in Ephesus just getting off the ground. Primarily a church made up of Gentile, what that means is non-Jewish believers. He's writing to this church and, and this is what he says. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 10 all at one time. And then we're going to unpack 11 through 18 kind of verse by verse. Okay, so here's the deal. I've said this multiple times from this stage to you. If you're a first time listening, you're a church homeless and you're checking us out online. Listen, here's the deal. What I'm getting ready to read to you is the most important part of today's sermon. It's the very living and active Word of God. And so lean in here. This is a rich, thick, amazing passage of Scripture. Let's dive into it together. Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Ephesians. We're getting to Romans in a little while, though, so put a thumb there. Everything's on purpose. Here's what it says. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. Not a great beginning, but it gets better. Hold on. In which you used to live in your former ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, 
gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature objects of wrath. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Amen. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. Boom. Amen. Isn't that something else? That's good stuff. So Paul is writing this. And what he is essentially saying, I'm going to sum all of this up in a kind of short and sweet way. He is essentially saying, you have been reconciled to God. Like the gap between you and God, the enmity between you and God because of your sins. You weren't just bad because of your sins. You were dead because of your sins. And God chose to die on a cross because of those sins. And now you can be, through faith, alive in him. And have the same thing that he has which is called oneness with the Father. That's what it means to be reconciled. Now, here's the deal, guys. Most of our theology stops right there. And we miss out on the second half of the gospel. This first half, in that we, as God's people, as creation, as mankind, have been reconciled to God, we get that. But what we oftentimes miss out on the fact is, is there something else, though? What about us down here? Like, this relationship is good now, but this one is kind of weird. This one is kind of awkward. This one, sometimes the time, I don't like people next to me. I don't like the people I see on the news. I don't like what's going on here. Well, I get this one's good, but what about this one? That's what we're going to be talking about here in the next part of Ephesians. If you got a Bible, let's go through, start with verse 11. And again, Paul's talking to primarily a group of Gentile believers helping them understand what's going on. He says in verse 11, Therefore, remember, you, that formerly you are Gentiles by birth, were called the circumcision, the uncircumcision, by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done by the body by human hands. Again, family-style service, not going to dive into that one very much. Have fun with that at home. What I will tell you, though, is what Paul is helping them understand is that there was a God-ordained difference between these two groups of people that God had chosen the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation, to be his chosen people, to say, I'm going to use you to be a blessing to all the other nations, but you're mine, and you're the special one that I've chosen. Anybody who was not a part of that nation was was called a Gentile. Most of us, unless you are a Jew in this room, you are, in fact, a Gentile. What God is saying here, through Paul, is that there was a divide there, a real divide. And he goes into links in the next verse to help them understand how big of a divide that was. So he says in verse 12, Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. See, what he's doing here is he's helping these people understand how grim their past reality was and how good it can become and has become now in Christ. So in order for us 
regardless of where we're at in this, and this whole idea of, of racial reconciliation and the divide that is between people who look different than each other, what he's saying to these two people groups is that in order for them to understand the magnitude of the reconciliation that they have now received, they've got to understand the magnitude of the division. And so he's talking to the Gentiles, people like you and me, and he's saying we were without hope, we were without God, we were foreigners, we were exiles, we were out of it. And so he's saying, I need you to understand how big the gap was for you. And what I need us to understand in regards to this, and we're going to figure out how this applies to what's going on right now, is the division that God overcomes here to bring people like me and you Gentiles into his kingdom is far more significant of a gap to overcome than anything that we would ever try to overcome in regards to our personal races and ethnicities. Let me unpack that because that's somewhat controversial. Here's the deal. We are one race. The idea of racial differentiation and different races is something that is man-constructed. We talked about this last week. God is not the one who instituted different races and said, well, you're white or you're Hispanic or you're black or you're Asian or, or whatever. God is not the one who did. He said, you're one race. You're all children of Adam. You're one race. Now, science is just now catching back up to what the Bible has been saying all along. And so what I want you to understand here that I'm not doing, I'm not discounting or discrediting the fact that those man-ordained differences and differentiations have caused incredible pain, heartache, frustration, angst, and history that is horrible. What I am still saying, though, is those delineations are things that were created by man, I believe perpetuated by Satan himself to continue to divide God's creation based off the things that they could see on the outside and not the Holy Spirit that God was putting on the inside. Now the point I'm trying to make in this is if God can overcome a difference and a delineation that he actually set up. So this whole Jew-Gentile thing, that's not something that man made up. That is actually something that God made up. So God is saying, you're my nation, you're not. Now I want this nation to bless the other nations. I want to bless them through them. But at the end of the day, God is going and actually overcoming that through his son. And so when I say that the, the idea of our races is not as big an issue, what I'm saying is if God can overcome a God-ordained difference. I believe that he, through people like you and me, can overcome a man-ordained difference. Now that's going to be difficult because we're a part of the equation. Okay? You're tracking? We're okay. We're glad, glad we're on the same page. Let's continue to go through this. Let's see what he's saying else because he, he unpacks what this actually means. Go to verse 13. He says, but now, okay, here's the good news. It was really ugly. But now, we love but nows in the Bible. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You are part of that but now. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If it was not for his blood, you would still be exiled without hope, without God, on the outside. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jew, Gentile. 
He's made the two groups one, destroyed their barrier and the dividing wall of hostility. Again, if our God can reconcile those two hugely, vastly different, God-ordained differences, then we, as his people, we should be running desperately towards living out the reconciliation between our outward differences. He's using temple language here when he's describing this. There's a, there's a, a, a picture I want to show you guys to help you understand. Paul's not just playing around with words. He's actually trying to get you to understand that if you were a Gentile, when he's talking about walls being broken down and you were being far off and being brought near, what he's actually doing is drawing these people's mind to the temple, this place where they thought, that's where I connect with God. If you look here on the green, color of my shirt, it may not be that way on TV, but that's what it looks like up here. The court of the Gentiles. If you are you and me, you're not a Jew man or woman, whatever, that is as close as you could get to the red thing, which is the Holy of Holies. That's where God is at. That's as close as you could have ever gotten to him. And so your relationship with God, it would have got that close. If you're a woman, and again, not a Gentile woman, if you're a Jewish woman, you get to the pretty purple court. And you get to go through that gate and you get to find your way into there. And then if you are a ceremonially clean Jewish male you can find your way into the blue court and then if you're a priest prophet or you're the one who they choose to be the holy one to enter into the holy place you can enter in there once a year and what Paul is saying here is the dividing walls have been taken down they are gone they have been done away with and that's that's something that we said because we were the ones who were far off and what that means for us today is that we have been made one and that barrier that ability for you and me people like you and me to be able to connect with God it no longer has anything to do with anything external because of what Jesus has done verse 15 he explains it even more he says by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations what he's saying is is Jesus said I'm going to complete the law I'm going to finish the law because here's the deal Paul, the guy who wrote this, did an amazing job at keeping the Ten Commandments and also killing Christians and also being a racist. And so Jesus is saying, that wasn't cutting it. And so I'm going to give my son, I'm going to give, I'm going to give his whole life so that people can be brought in. And he says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. I want to unpack that word new to be able to help you understand what God has done in us as he has reconciled us together. And again, this isn't just black-white reconciliation. This isn't Hispanic-Asian reconciliation. This is the, the true God-ordained reconciliation. That word new, in, in the Greek language, there's actually two words for new. One is neos, and the other is this word I want to show you up here. It's called uh, kainos. Kainos is the other one. Now, kainos is a different kind of new. It doesn't mean new as in like a new version of something. It is a new kind unprecedented never happened before novel uncommon or unheard of the difference the, the way i'll explain this to you is the difference between saying i want to go get a brand new 2021 ford f-150 what paul is talking about here isn't a brand new 2020 f-150 he's talking about the model t he's saying this is something that has never existed up until this point he has made something completely unprecedented and totally new because two have become one he's saying now i have a people not a bunch of people who come to me on their own terms i have a people now listen this next half is is something else he says out of the two out of one out of two thus making peace thus making 
peace. Now again, we hear peace and we think of certain things. In regards to the racial divide that we feel and that we face, I want to tell you the type of peace that Paul is not talking about bringing to us. See, when we think peace, we think about this maybe wartime peace where it's like, okay, we signed the peace treaty. Peace just means that we have agreed to stop fighting. But listen, when my two little boys get in a fight and an argument at their home, the goal for them is just to not, not, it's not just for them to not fight anymore. It's for them to continue to be brothers. And so the point that he's trying to make in this that, that I fear we fall into is most of us, if we're not careful, we become much more satisfied with the type of peace that just says we're not fighting anymore. Because that type of peace is actually what sometimes I think we desire. And I'm going to sympathize with you here. Like, hear me. I think that's sometimes easier. It's easier to not get to know people who look different than you. It is easier to just surround yourself with people who are like you. Man, I tell you what, it was easier to live in that house with three other burping, farting, stinky guys than it was to move into a place where I had to put my socks away and wash dishes. It's easier. What Paul is saying here, though, is if we want to truly experience the peace that Jesus brought us, we've got to understand that it is going to require us actually making war. We're going to have to make war against our desires to just insulate and keep ourselves comfortable and not risk uh, stepping on some toes or, or being misunderstood. That We're going to have to risk building relationships that aren't like anything we've experienced. We're going to have to go to war against our partiality and our pride and not just be non-racist but actually be against racism. He says, I'm going to need you, if you're going to really experience this peace that I, I sent my son to die on a cross to make you at peace, if you're going to experience this, you have got to have a wartime sense of awareness. That as you see things happening, you are taking those thoughts captive, making them obedient to my word. That you're taking every post captive, you're taking every comment captive, every like captive, every share captive, every news feed captive, everything that you see on Fox News or CNN or NMSNBC or whatever thing that you watch news on. I'm taking these things captive because I'm not just about finding a place to take a stance or a side. I'm about being at peace and living at peace in a way that requires me to not just lay down my arms but to link arms and become one. And there's a big difference there. And I think a lot of times in churches, we're just okay with laying down our arms. Jesus says, if you're going to be my church, I need you. You have to link arms. Link arms. Link arms. And I'm so thankful and I'm so proud that I see that happening here on a weekly basis. And my prayer and my encouragement is we're just getting started. There needs to be more. And I pray that Jesus uses you to do that. If you're writing, you're taking notes, one of the things I think is big to remember in this is, is the unity that I'm talking about here. Unity does not mean, and it does not equal uniformity. Jesus is not saying that, okay, well, if we're going to be one, then we've all got to be the same. That, that's not the goal. See, believers, we don't create unity. We preserve the unity that Jesus gave his life to establish. 
Okay, now hear me on this, because you hear some people say, we just need, we need, we need, if racial reconciliation would just happen, newsflash, it has already happened. It has already been achieved. The problem is, is we do not believe or live out the fact that it has already happened. It's there. It's there. Believe Jesus, get over ourselves, and go after it. That's it. In 2.16, he says, and in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which he put to death their hostility. Look at Paul's word choice. I love it. He, he's being blatant. He's being honest. He's saying the very thing that brought peace between you and your uh, enemy, the very thing that brought peace between God and mankind is a weapon used to kill and intimidate. Don't you see the paradox and the beauty in the gospel and how, like we sang about, God takes what the enemy meant for evil and he uses it for good? It's beautiful. If you're writing, you want to do a screenshot of something that you want to tweet something, whatever. Here, here's, here's what I want you to understand about reconciliation. Reconciliation is not something that you and I have to achieve. Reconciliation is something that you and I have to believe because Jesus has already achieved it. It's there. It's there. One of my, my favorite pastors to listen to in recent times on this is a guy out of Pen, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. His name is Dr. Eric Mason. He wrote this. He says, but in the gospel... Man is not just reconciled to God by faith. Man is also reconciled to man by faith. Now, again, get your mind around that. that. That's huge. We are not just reconciled to God by faith. We are reconciled to man by faith. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. If you want to go back and look up the verse for that, that is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He doesn't give us the luxury of refusing to be reconciled. You don't have the luxury of refusing. It's got to happen. Ephesians 17, 18. Paul's kind of wrapping up this idea, and he says, He came and preached peace to you, though you were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. I love verses in the Bible, and this is why I love verse 18. I love verses in the Bible where the whole Trinity shows up. Nothing quite like that, is there? Like, read that again. For through him, Jesus, we both have access to the Father, God the Father, by one spirit. And so guys, if this reconciliation that we're talking about, again, it's one of those things that's part of what, when the kingdom of God and this gospel mindset that we have to have, it's, it's something that's called an already not yet. It's something that has already happened, but we are not yet fully happening. There's a lot of these as we follow Jesus that are already not yet. And if we're gonna actually experience this, this reconciliation, we're, this is going to be something we actually walk in. Here's what I believe we need more than anything else. Empathy. Empathy. It's a big word. But a lot of times we get really confused on what it actually means. But empathy is, I believe, what we need. Because here's the deal. It is hard to have empathy and compassion for people if we disagree with them. And we don't agree with their facts. But I want to show you what we said in Romans 12, which I told you we were going to get there. Romans 12, 14 and 18. If you want to know how to act as a believer, if you want to know what we should be doing, Romans 12, 14 to 18 is it. Listen to what it says. Paul makes it very cut and dry. This is a good Father's Day verse. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. There is probably no better verse for the, 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 the word empathy than that verse right there. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. That means you feel what they feel. 16, live in harmony with one another. 
Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on who? You. Live at peace with everyone. See, one of the things that, in the midst of all this, I really do feel like frustrates the heart of our Father is the lack of empathy he sees in his children. And one of the things that I feel is the greatest hindrance to us being able to be empathetic with people is this thing called facts. Facts. See, all this stuff happens, whether it's an Ahmaud Arbery, a Breonna Taylor, a George Floyd, all these things happen. And we want facts, do we not? We want to know the facts of the story. We want to know the facts and the facts and the facts. But here's the deal. Facts have this problem about them. There's a problem with facts. And I want, to, I, want, I want to show you what I mean by that. Now, again, facts are important. We have to know the facts. But there's this thing about facts that I think sometimes we overlook and it hinders us from actually being empathetic. Morel, can you come help me, man? Okay. You stand right there. We'll, we'll do as much social distancing as we can. Morel McCrary, everybody. Amazing man of God. Okay, come here, you gotta get a little closer than that, come on, okay. Okay, let's talk about facts, okay? We'll call this a newsworthy incident. You can imagine what it could be, we'll call this a newsworthy incident. Now, Morel, he's on that side, I'm on this side of the equation. I'm a white male, he's a black male, okay? Now, here's the situation, right? You tell me what you see, tell me your facts, what's your facts? Okay, well, well, mine, I don't got none of that McDonough Christian church stuff. Mine says we exist to develop followers of Jesus Christ who love, imitate, duplicate him in their surrendered lives. Now, what is your saying again? No, 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 no. Mine says we exist, and my facts are different than your facts. I mean, I can read it backwards. Don't, no, no, no. <laughs> My facts are different than your. Don't, don't try to see through me. Don't. Yeah, right? Now, see, here, here's the deal, guys. In regards to facts, every situation, every newsworthy thing that you see, there are two sides to every bit of facts. The reality, though, that I think for most of us, regardless of if you're on the, uh, the Black Lives Matter side, the Cops Lives Matter side, the Whatever Lives Matter side, the thing that we are most prone to do, though, is to go, these facts give me a convenient excuse not to be empathetic enough to a brother in Christ and to go around to his side and to actually take the time to see it from his perspective. And so we take this as this really convenient excuse to go, no, nah, bro, these are my facts. And I don't see your facts. And there's a problem in that. The problem at, thank you, brother, thank you so much. The problem is we are one. And so the facts that he sees, now again, I'm going to just be honest, most of the time, the facts that, that, that some of the people on the other side of these situations are seeing, they are much more emotionally draining and traumatic 
than the set of facts that I read on a police report. However, regardless of whichever side you are on, if we truly are one, and that's got to be the question, are you one or are you not? Are you in or are you out? Because if we are one, then I rejoice when you rejoice, and I mourn when you mourn. And if I see you on the other side of whatever newsworthy situation it is, if I see you mourning and you're my brother or my sister in Christ, regardless of if I see the facts that you see or not, my requirement, and this is what I'm saying to us as the body of Christ, our role is to go to the other side. And this does not mean all whites just go to the black side. This does not mean all blacks just go to the white side. This means we collectively all be willing to rotate around things, see them from a gospel perspective, and empathize where we see pain. That's what, guys, it means to be a people of the gospel. If you're taking notes, you want to write something down. Here's, here's, here's what empathy is. Empathy is feeling with people. Feeling with people. And see, this is the difference. See, most of the time when people are hurting, we think we just need to give them a response. Like, I need to give a response to this. Like, even for me as a pastor, like, I see members of our African-American community through a season like this, I see them hurting. And me as a pastor, and as a white male pastor, I go, goodness gracious, I have got to respond. Here's the deal. Responses rarely change anything what changes things is connection and this guys that what I just said the responses don't change a whole lot of things but connection does that is the story of our faith God perfect connection Adam and Eve in the garden perfect connection got them rocking and rolling everything's good in the garden we're connecting we're walking in the cool of the day eating everything rivers with gold all up in them we're just loving this thing we're connected sin enters the world disconnection from the moment that God is unconnected from his people from his kids what happens is God has to from then on give a response and so he sends prophet after prophet after king after king after man of God after man of God and he's trying to get his response that he hates the sin they're committing over and over and over again but here's the deal his responses we're not cutting it and so God in heaven says Jesus we're going to have to not be connected so that you can connect to them. Divinity is going to have to become humanity and empathize and connect with them if this thing is ever going to change. Elijah couldn't do it. Ezekiel couldn't do it. Moses couldn't do it. David couldn't do it. But Jesus, you can. Go connect. That's the story of the gospel. And if we, as God's people, if we want to live that out, we have got to be willing to make the jump from being sympathetic people who just go, I see you, to being empathetic people who go, I feel you. I feel you. Because if we're one, then we feel what each other feels. That church is what it means to be one. And that is what breaks the Father's heart when we refuse to participate in it. Because... 
as the band comes back out and they get ready to lead us into a time of communion. That is what communion did, guys. It's Jesus saying, I'm going to connect not with just the best parts of you. I'm going to connect with every perspective. I'm going to feel what you feel so I can heal. And that's the only way healing happened. Do you think that your sins would ever have been able to be healed or forgiven if Jesus didn't feel every bit of them? Do you think that if God could have found another way out for a son to not have the crown of thorns put on his head and nails put in both of his hands and strung across him? Like if there was another way he could have healed you without feeling you, do you not think he would have chosen it? And so we can't be people who go, yeah, yeah, God, heal our land, heal our land, heal our land, but I'm not willing to feel what other people feel. See, Jesus, he poured his blood out for us. As we get ready to go into a time of communion, I invite you to take it wherever you're at. You've got it with you, hopefully. This truth, guys, there's nothing like it. There's really nothing like it when we live it out. And my hope is that we would. This day forward, realize what this, this body that was broken for the sins of all mankind actually represents that us as his body can now be truly connected that this blood that was poured out for the sins of all mankind is actually representing this new blood that you have flowing through your veins that makes you one with him and one with them and my prayer is that we as God's church we would experience this now more than ever as the band plays for a little bit, I invite you right there in, the, in, the, in your seat or right where you're at at home to take your communion, meet with your Father, and then we're going to go back into the song we started today off with Run to the Father and understand that it's not just you running, friend. We are running. And so if we see a brother or sister knocked down out of the race, it is our obligation to go where we need to go, to feel what we need to feel, and to bring the healing that Jesus wants to bring through us. Let's pray and then commune with our Father. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for giving your life so that we could have it. In your name, amen.